Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I love seeing the ball put in play because I want to see guys make defensive plays. I want to see guys run from first to third and challenge a, a right fielder's arm. Like, that's where the athleticism comes in. Everybody's always like, oh, you know, baseball players aren't athletes. Go look at them today compared to what they used to be. Even 15 years ago, there is no comparison. Hope everybody had a great holiday weekend. Today's podcast is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. Locally owned for over 20 years. For all of your plumbing needs and repairs, check out newworksplumbing.com. I've really enjoyed the emails I've received talking about how great the service has been with New Works Plumbing. I love to hear that. Keep them coming. And remember, their expert technicians are available to you 24-7. Just go to newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com. My guest on today's podcast is a very familiar face and voice. Uh, You see him on the NFL Network, also for many years, the MLB Network. But uh, now, in addition to just the NFL Network, he's got a podcast, a new podcast that debuted a couple of months ago. I want to talk to him about that. And when you think of Cleveland sports, I would think that Chris Rose knows as much about everything going on in that city for many, many decades. It's just about anybody breathing in that part of the country. It's a pleasure to welcome Chris Rose. Chris, how are you, sir? Doing well, Grant. How are you? I'm doing good. All right. The move in the mid-90s, was that one of the worst days of your life? Well, it was not great. It definitely wasn't top five. I can tell you that. I was actually just starting my television career in Reno, Nevada in the fall of 95. And things got pretty quiet, if I remember correctly, early in that season. There were a few reporters that were asking Art Modell about possible moving and he was like listen we have a Super Bowl contending team here let's not talk about that let's not be totally pushed it to the back burner so nobody really bothered him and apparently during that time behind the scenes you know he was orchestrating a deal with Baltimore to get out of town and it was particularly hurtful to, to the Rose family not only because we were generational Clevelanders and had season tickets from 1946 until they moved in 1995 but Art Modell actually gave me my first job as a ball boy with the Browns. My dad was very friendly with him. And my mom, who could hold a grudge like no other, cut the cord. Hmm. She was like, 
she said, told my dad, hey, if you want to talk to him, you can. I'm not talking to him. And that was it. So it was really, it was as tough as it was for all of Cleveland. It was particularly devastating for us because of the personal relationship as well. Your first Browns game, how old were you? I was probably six or seven when they finally allowed me to go. You know, these days you really take kids when they're super, super young. Back then it wasn't as easy. It's just, you know, the the games weren't as as accessible, meaning they just wasn't comfortable. There were constant fights in the stands. You know, it was going to a Brown Steelers game got really rowdy. Like they wouldn't let me go to a Brown Steelers game until I was a teenager. I know that. Was it more difficult growing up being a fan of the Indians or the Browns in terms of pain that loyal fans go through when their teams don't win? Well, it was more painful for the Browns because they were actually playing for something. I mean, the Browns made the playoffs five times in the 80s, made three AFC title games in four years, losing all of them to the Broncos. I was at the drive by John Elway. I really thought we were going to the Super Bowl. I mean, I remember that when Brian Brennan caught the touchdown to put us up 20 to 13 with under six to go, and then the ensuing kick, they kind of muffed it and fell on a two-yard line. I remember thinking to myself as a 15-year-old, I was like, holy shit, we're going to the Super Bowl. Like, I cannot believe this. With our defense, we are going to the Super Bowl. And it didn't happen. With the Indians, it was just, I never had expectations. The first 24 years of my life, they never finished higher than fourth in their division, which is kind of hard to do. I mean, back then there were seven teams in the American League East. They were one of the seven. And, like, you you couldn't have lucked into a third-place finish or something. They were just – they were terrible. And we played in that horrible stadium in Cleveland Municipal Stadium where – the, the fun part was, like, I could move around during a game and learn baseball from every different angle. I wanted to go <laughs> sit behind the plate for a couple right. innings. I'd go do that. And we would talk to the outfielders. Like, I'd always sit in the outfield, and, you know, Ricky Henderson was out there. He could hear us. And one time, I mean, the, the crowd was so sparse. Joe Carter, you know, played for the Indians early in his career. And he sneezed, and some lady said, bless you. And he turned around <laughs> and said, thank you. I was like, what is What's going on here? So it was, it was pretty pretty crazy stuff. Uh, on my podcast recently, I talked about great announcers, and I was specifically referring to basketball announcers because Marv Albert is retiring at the age of 80. But one of my favorite voices, and I mean ever, and as I told you, I went to college at Bowling Green, so I used to listen to 3WE a lot. I, yep. say, I say Joe Tate. You say what? I mean, legendary. Just such a wonderful tone, delivery, non-homer, truth teller, accurate, incredible tempo to his call, excitement levels, no forced action, nothing. He was the perfect radio play-by-play guy that I used to listen to. I could totally see what was going on without the help of a television. Hmm. And the thing I loved most about him was how passionate he was about the sport. And he appreciated good basketball very early in Dennis Rodman's career with the Pistons. One thing I'd love doing was we had season tickets to the Cavs games as well. And it was, you know, just a regular night. We lost to the Pistons in old Richfield Coliseum. 
So it was like a 22 mile drive home. And I'd always put the post game on in the car driving home. And he'd give the stat line for everybody, you know, Dennis Rodman in 37 minutes, uh, you know, two of four from the field, mm. one of two from the line, 13 rebounds. And then he'd say, Dennis Rodman, I'll, I know some of you think don't think much of him. I'll take him on my team anytime. And he just said it so matter-of-factly, wow. but it was perfect. It was just a perfect description. Really, really just a fantastic play-by-play guy. Growing up, listening to Joe, did that have any impact on you wanting to be a sportscaster? I mean, I imagine it played a, a role, but everything did. You know, back then, we didn't have... We didn't have direct TV and everybody that's under the age of 35 thinks that sports was super accessible. It wasn't, you know, back in the day I would sit there and I, I didn't even have a remote control at times. So I'd have to go up and, you know, in the spring channel nine was, we got WOR. So we'd get the Mets games. And then on channel 10, we got the Canadian Broadcasting Company, so we'd get the Expos games on Channel 10. Mm. Then Channel 11 was WUAB-TV, Channel 43, sure. which was on 11 on our cable, serving Lorraine and Cleveland. So that was the Indians game. And then Channel 12 was TBS, so I'd get to watch the Braves. But I'd have to get my fat ass up every time I wanted to change the channel and move the little thing. And I just, I would listen to a ton of announcers, and I'd, you know, I'd watch every sports center I could. It wasn't like today where you could turn on ESPN and on one of their 18 channels, you could find some rendition of sports center. It wasn't that way, but I just liked listening to how people did things. And I was just a huge fan. And it, I mean, it really consumes me. I mean, I had one, I won a speaking contest my junior year in high school on being a sportsaholic. And I laid out what my day was like and what my weekends were like. And I had one teacher who was a former Tigers pitcher, actually, say on my report card one year, he said, Chris would be a much better student if he had history on his brain more so than sports when he entered, entered the classroom. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's some comment coming from a guy whose best major league season was nine wins, eight losses, a 3.17 ERA. <laughs> and I, did, I never mentioned his name, but the place erupted and they all looked right at him. And he sat there, and he was red as could be. Um, I love he was it. a great guy. And he was our baseball coach, and I was the manager of the team because I sucked and I couldn't play. But I love it. He always held that against me. That's great. And yeah, it was, it was fun stuff. Around what age were you when you thought of sports casting? I mean, I was probably seven or eight. Like a no joke. I knew I wanted to do it. I knew I wanted to do something in sports, and I finally solidified it with the TV side of things in between my junior and senior years in college, I had an internship at CNN in Atlanta for nine weeks and I'd learned a ton down there. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go the TV route and give that a shot. I had done some radio internships where I'd go. And I think in 1991, I want to say the Indians went 57 and one Oh five. And I, part of one of my jobs was to go get post game sound. And so I would bring my little tape recorder and I would sit behind home plate and I'd go get the game notes from the press room before the game started. And I would call play by play into a tape recorder. I, I actually sat next to the nun from, uh, from the movie major league. Wow. I, I'd sit next to her occasionally, you know, you'd see her in the beginning of the movie. She's in the first two or three minutes of the film. And, uh, people would look at me like, what are you doing? You weirdo. <laughs> and, 
I would just sit there and practice my play-by-play. So I always wanted to do it. I just didn't know exactly which direction I was going to go. You go to Miami of Ohio and Oxford. You talked about your internship at CNN, which just had to be unbelievable at that age in Atlanta. But when you look back at your career, is there one defining moment or one big break, the one thing that happened that really propelled you onto a great career? I'd say it's actually two things. One is the fact that, so my first TV job out of college, a week after I was I graduated from Miami, I started as a studio camera operator at the ABC affiliate in Cincinnati. And then a couple months later, the Fox affiliate was starting a news division. Now every Fox affiliate has news. But back then there were only a handful and Cincinnati was starting one in the fall of 93. I went over there and I became a production assistant and our weekend sports anchor was Kevin Frazier. Mm. He was hired out of Baltimore. Sure. And Kevin, of course, now has gone on to an extremely successful career. He did sports for a long, long time, but now, you know, is, is the co-host of Entertainment Tonight. And he became my mentor. And he kind of taught me how to do things, how to give a fresh perspective of sports. You know, I was just some kid with a mullet and a sweatshirt and a pair of jeans. And he was like, look, you got to clean up your act. If you want to be on air, Start dressing like for the job that you want. You need to start hopping up on the anchor desk and do fake resume tapes and start sending stuff out. And he would always be on. And I finally got a job. It took a couple of years. I mean, I was rejected from, I think, from 18 different places before I got my first on-air gig in Reno, Nevada. But Kevin is a, was a huge part of my professional career, and we're still friends to this day. And then the other, I wasn't supposed to be the host of the Best Damn Sports Show, period. I got the job the day before the show started. Wow. In July of 2001. The day before? Was, wow. Yeah, I was I was just going to be a fill-in guy. There were two other guys that were going to split it. And they couldn't, I think the week before the show was going to launch, neither one of them, neither of their schedules permitted them to host on Thursday and Friday. But they needed to keep working it to get guys reps and get the, the cast familiar with one another see how the show would work. There was never a show quite like this. You know, the production crew needed to get its timing down. And so they said, Chris, just, we need you to come in and sit in on Thursday and Friday and just kind of navigate it. And if neither of those guys are available, maybe you can be a vacation fill-in. I was like, okay, no big deal. I did it Thursday and Friday and my boss came up to me and he goes, we might be calling you this weekend. I was like, okay, well, whatever. You can can call me. You're my boss. So they (laughs) called me the day before the show started and they said, we want you to host the show. Mm. And I didn't know anything about it. I mean, I'd heard rumblings about it, but I didn't know what it was about or how important a priority it was. Sure enough, I became the host. I walked in. Unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah. And it was crazy. And, you know, we had to change two vacations because of it. And I remember my wife saying, they are always screwing you there. And I was like, well, but it might work out. It might work out. He's like, it's not going to work out. And sure enough, it kind of changed yep. the trajectory of, of oh. the career. Amazing. I'm up at Lake Tahoe every summer for the Celebrity Golf Tournament, and one of my favorite guys that I get a chance to talk to and hang around with is Kevin Millar. And that show that you did with him on MLB Network, Intentional Talk, I miss that show so much. How much do you miss doing that? Well, I mean, I really miss it because obviously the show is still on the air, right? So very rarely do shows that were created for two guys in particular continue on with only one of them. And, you know, as people may or may not have seen when I was not renewed after December, 
wasn't anything I did and it wasn't anything the network did. I, my contract was up. They were in a cost cutting measure, very much like Kenny Maine just went through with ESPN after he spent 29 years there. It doesn't mean that there weren't, you know, there were a lot of great times. I, I'm extremely thankful for the decade I was there. But Kevin and I had something that, that a lot of shows that every show's searching for. Okay. Whenever people put on air talent together, the hope is, is that they create something that two or four people create something that people want to tune into every day. And we were fortunate. We had known each other for eight years before we'd done that show together. We're roughly the same age. We've spent a lot of time together. His mom lives 10 minutes from me, so we'd always see each other in the offseason. I always told him when some major league team's smart enough to figure out that you can't play anymore, give me a call. We'll do something. And we had the good fortune of doing a show together for a decade. I did that show longer than I did Best Dan. Hmm. And I loved it. I loved the grind every day of, of baseball season and trying to come up with a show which is more than just highlights and reacting to seeing a guy hit a home run. But more than that, you know, I loved working with him. There aren't a lot of people that are exactly what you see inside of your little rectangle or wherever you watch your, your videos. Uh, he is exactly what you see. No question. He is all over the place. He is genuine. He's got a great heart. He treats people right. He drives me nuts. He, <laughs> everything you saw was 100% real. And so I miss that relationship more than anything. I miss talking with my friend every day. We still talk. We still text but it's not as frequent. And so that's been something that's been difficult. A couple of months ago, Chris, you started a podcast. Uh, what made you go that direction? Well, I still, you know, I still have my feet firmly in the ground and, uh, you know, in the world of baseball. And I love it. I love football. I love baseball. I still have the good fortune of working at NFL Network, but I knew that there would be a significant amount of downtime between seasons because I don't do a ton of work for the NFL Network. I couldn't at the time I signed that contract because I had a daily show on MLB Network. But because of the circumstances changed, I knew I still wanted to do something in baseball. And so I said, okay, well, where is there to go? Yeah, I wasn't going to go to ESPN. Box is set. So what do you do? Well, you don't look into the future. You look into the present. And where are people consuming their product? Streaming, right? Sure. And nobody, in my opinion, is doing it better than John Boy Media. Jimmy and Jake, the creators of this company, know what they're doing. And I had been friendly with them for a couple of years. And so we just started talking and the deal got done pretty quickly. They were like, what sort of show do you want to do? And I told them, I said, I want to have a rotation of co-hosts that are active players. And I've got six of them that give us totally different perspectives. And we also have guests on during these times. And it comes out twice a week. And I think that we've been able to take listeners and viewers into certain places that we haven't gone before. I mean, I, you know, the two things that people talk to me most about with intentional talk was the relationship that Kevin and I had and then the interviews. And they loved the interviews because it showed a different side of these guys. It wasn't talking about a 3-2 slider. It wasn't talking about, you know, facing that changeup. It got to know the guys as dads, as husbands, as sons, what makes them take away from the diamond. But 
it was a limited dose. You know, you only get eight to 10 minutes with these guys. When I get them on a podcast, I get them for an hour and you can go anywhere. There are, you know, it's not state run TV like at MLB network with all due respect. We can talk about Tony La Russa screwing up and not fear of getting a call from an owner. That's pretty important stuff where I live. And so hopefully we're doing a service for the, for the fans out there as we continue to, to give them some good product. I had Dusty Baker on my podcast back in December, and we talked about what it was like for a black man to be in the Deep South in the late 60s and playing with Hank Aaron, and he had fascinating things to say about that. We also talked about the way the game is played today, even the way it was played five years ago, ten years years ago, and, of course, when he was playing with the Dodgers in the 70s. And so I get it. You can get some fascinating commentary and fascinating conversations. You talked about Tony La Russa, you know, Dusty and he, two of the oldest managers in baseball. How did you feel about what LaRusa did, calling out a player for hitting a home run in the ninth up 15-4 to four, instead of taking it behind closed doors? Did you have a problem with that? I mean, after all, we're talking about a team here that's having a heck of a start leading the American League with the best record. Yeah, every part of it was screwed up. Every part that he did was screwed up. You know, once again, if people ask you a question, what should he have done? He could have said, hey, listen. Yeah, I mean, probably shouldn't have swung 3-0, but that's okay. He'll learn. Instead, he called a 28-year-old guy who has played for three independent league teams, who has grinded just to get to the major leagues, and oh, by the way, has been leading the American League in hitting the first seven weeks and is saving your hide at times. You called him clueless. You called him clueless. Who calls their guy clueless? And then after Jeremy Mercedes gets thrown at, Tony La Russa defends the other team. Like, that's really where he lost me. How in the world could those guys walk into the clubhouse the next day after their manager just defended their opponent? I, you know, if Tony La Russa, like, I don't get it. First of all, I, I, we talked about it on a podcast with two pitchers, with Trevor Williams of the Cubs and Stephen Brault of the Pirates. Those guys are 29 years old. So they are a younger generation. But they were both like, I don't understand what the big deal is. Like, they said, to me what's impressive is that he hit a home run off of a 47-mile-an-hour pitch. Why are we talking about that? And then then they both said they would have a real problem if their manager did what LaRusso did. Yep, I agree. I don't get it either. So, I, don't, I don't know how you can call one of your players clueless – I, well, I just I don't understand how you can call out a player like that. I'm with you 100 percent here. It makes I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it's embar- It was embarrassing, in my opinion. Like some people are like, well, it's you know, you have to show some respect for your opponent. So wait a second, you're telling so Tony Larusa, who's one of the most hard ass managers in the history of the sport, who turned a blind eye when Jose Canseco was shooting steroids into his body. You're talking about having respect for the opponents now in 2021. Yeah, great point. Why, you're all warm and fuzzy. Great point. Like I don't, I don't quite get it. Why? Why is the line moving on this? Great point. Are you bothered by watching baseball now and the way the game is played? The, you know, the strikeout total and everything else. The the specialty of the game. The relief pitchers. We can go on and on. Do you do you still enjoy watching baseball as much as you used to? I do because I love the competition. I love why I think there's never been a generation of players under the age of 25 that's this this talented. So I want to start off by saying that. Okay. I love watching guys 
Like I just watched Vlad Guerrero launch two missiles today. And then I put out a tweet. I said, how many of the legacies on the Toronto Blue Jays are going to out Homer their father? You know, like Vlad, Vlad now has, uh, I think 39 homers. His dad had 449, but Vlad Jr.'s 22 years old. Like it makes you think a little bit. And then you got Bichette and Biggio. It's just a fun little thing. But every night, right, there's somebody special. Otani, Tatis, they're all just doing it every night. And so I think the athleticism has never been better. But I also think that because the value is hitting the ball over the wall and getting the ball in the air, it has taken away the great athleticism that we could be seeing on the diamond. I love seeing the ball put in play because I want to see guys make defensive plays. I want to see guys run from first to third and challenge a, a right fielder's arm. Like, that's where the athleticism comes in. Everybody's always like, oh, you know, baseball players aren't athletes. Go look at them today compared to what they used to be. Even 15 years ago, there is no comparison. These guys are amazing athletes, but we're not seeing enough of it because of how players are valued economically in the sport. So I do understand why some people and Don Mattingly of the Marlins came out last week and said I know a lot of guys who played baseball who won't watch it because they don't recognize the game now, I'm not saying turn it back but I sure as heck think that there's got to be a way to fix it and I would start with banning the shift yep I think that's a way to do it and like I said if you have more balls in play there's more action and I'm just a fan of action so with that said do you think the game is in trouble no I don't think it's in trouble I don't. I mean, do I think that it has become regionalized? Absolutely. There's no question. What, what do you, what do you mean sports, by that? Well, I think that, that if you're in Los Angeles, you really, really care about the Dodgers or you really, really care about the Angels. But are you going to watch Sunday night Cubs-Cardinals game? I don't know. I don't know. But if you're a Lakers fan or a Clippers fan, you're probably watching Thursday night let's say Bucks Celtics game. I would agree you know with that. I, mean? I would agree with that. So, I think you're spot on. I, yeah. I think that the, and, and the NBA did not have a good ratings deal. No, I mean, you and I have talked about that as well. So, sure. you know, I think it's okay. I still think that there's a lot of money to be made and interest to be had. Do I wish that, it, that baseball had more of a national following? Absolutely. I mean, it's what I've, you know, what I've poured my heart and soul into the last decade plus, but uh, I do think that there's a way to get people interested in it, and hopefully, part I'm part of the problem-solving process with the Chris Rose rotation. You've done a lot of things in your career, but what would your dream job be if you had the little magic wand and you could do whatever you wanted? What would it be? I don't know. I mean, I I really feel like I'm still doing it. You know, I love talking to players. I love it for baseball. It's been great. Uh, the football players I haven't gotten to know well and as well because a lot of my work has been in studio for NFL Network, and that's okay. You know, listen, would I love to call some Browns games here or there? Of course, that would be the best. I, I had the good fortune of calling one Browns game in my career on Fox, and the Browns won it on a John Casey missed field goal with just seconds to go against the Carolina Panthers. In Cleveland? Uh in Cleveland. Okay, so yeah. that, that had to be, and I, I don't mean to, like, go in a different direction here, but I said on a recent podcast, maybe the greatest moment that I've had 
was the first game that I ever did at Madison Square Garden with the Kings and the Knicks, a guy that I idolized growing up. The reason why I got into broadcasting, Marv Albert, sitting five chairs to my left. Again, yeah. a bill. And so for you and your love for Cleveland sports and your childhood and going through high school and college, to be doing the Cleveland Browns on network TV in Cleveland, it doesn't get any better than that, does it? No, that was pretty darn cool. And my dad watched the game from home. And unfortunately, my mom wasn't here anymore. But my dad loved it. Like, that, out of all the things I've done in my career, I think that made him most proud. Like, I don't think he ever, I knew, I knew how much he believed in me and how much he supported me. Both my parents did. And I knew that he thought I could be extremely successful in this industry. I don't think he ever thought he would see a day where I would call the Browns game. And I remember taking him, you know, I also called a handful of baseball games on Fox. And I remember one time we were vacationing in Cleveland and I took my dad with me to go call a Tigers White Sox game. So we drove up there. He stayed with me in the hotel room. I didn't get a ounce of sleep because he snored so <laughs> terribly. <laughs> But I did the game the next day, and I, he was in the next booth over, and he wore headsets, and, and the crew was amazing with him. And, I, you know, he was a pretty emotional guy. I, could, I would look over at him occasionally, and he's a huge, huge sports fan. And I could just see it in his eyes, like, I cannot believe my son is calling mm. Major League Baseball games. I th- it doesn't, I doesn't get any better than that. I know I had my dad with no. me. I had my dad with me at center court at Madison yeah. Square Garden. And, like, I think that I probably got more enjoyment of seeing the joy and excitement on my dad's face and what it was like for him. And, yes, it was great for me, and I know it was great for you. But, boy, when you grew up like you and I did, and I grew up as a season ticket holder, we had season tickets for the Giants and the Jets. We were at Yankee Stadium all the time. We were at Madison Square Garden at the Rangers all the time. Couldn't get Knicks tickets, so I didn't go to a lot of basketball games. But to have that type of childhood, and I think ours is very similar, when you can share that type of a moment with your dad, again, it doesn't get any better than that for me. No, it was great. And my dad, you know what? It's interesting. My dad hated crowds. He was a bit claustrophobic. Oh, okay. He loved the fact that I, that I would go to games and he loved it. And we used to, in Cleveland, there's not a subway. There's a thing called the rapid transit. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an above ground subway, if you will. And we lived right across the street from it. So we would take it like 22 minutes downtown for the Browns games. And then we'd take it back. And after the Browns lost in the AFC championship game on the drive, my dad would never know. We didn't have cell phones back in the day. So he, he couldn't tell which rapid we were going to get off at. But he waited for us outside of the house for every rapid that came off because he wanted to greet us there. Wow. And we got off. And as I said, I was 15, my older brother, 19, and a freshman in college or so. And I remember walking up the driveway, and he's just sitting there, and he was so sad mm. for us. He wasn't sad for him because he had lived through the good sure. times. And he just gave me the biggest hug. And he was just like, I'm sorry, buddy. I am so sorry. And, you know, like those are the things you remember and those are the things that stick with you so that when the Cavs finally won it all in 2016, I was like, holy smokes, 
my sons do not have to wait until <laughs> they're grown men in their 40s to right. be able to celebrate something. Right. Like, I am so I'm happy, thrilled for myself and my brothers, but I cannot. I'm so happy for my kids that they don't have to deal with all <laughs> yep. the BS that I had to deal with for decades as a Cleveland fan. Oh, I love it. By the way, I'm really happy. When we were on No Filter Network recently, that you were the one hosting because you would probably be the only guy that I could get on the air when I say Super Joe Charbonneau. You knew exactly who the hell I was talking about. Come I on, remember- man. <laughs> that was that was that was my wheelhouse. That was the first young star that the Indians ever had in my lifetime. Go Joe Charbonneau. Look him up, people. Oh boy. 1980 AL Rookie of the Year. I think he just bested Dave Stapleton. Yeah. In that in that voting that year, and I think he hit like 23 or 24 homers, drove in like 80 runs, and then unfortunately bad back and too much partying. I think got him. Well, he he was built like a football player. I mean, he was the strongest when you saw him. I mean, he was just built like a brick wall. You remember that? Oh yeah, he was a big dude. And we, we were like, oh, my God, we've got a star for the next decade. And boy, did that star fizzle quickly. Oh, man, oh, man. Before I let you go, you talk about the NFL Network. What a machine that is and how far it's come. The, the production, the on-site reporters, not only the coverage on Sunday, but really 365 days a year. What an amazing network that is. That has to be amazing to work there. It is. It's a lot of work, and people put in a lot more work than I do because I'm pretty much in, you know, once the season starts, for the most part. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate I get to go to the Combine when we have that still. Obviously, the draft we just did in Cleveland, which was a thrill. But, yeah, I mean, it is a, it is a machine because it is a 12-month-a-year calendar. It's not just August until through Super Bowl. Every day there's something new with that league. A new storyline, a new transaction. Something is happening that is not just kind of a flicker or a spark. It's like a five-alarm fire. Yeah, we have amazing, amazing people that are busting their butts, and our reporters have tremendous sources and the ability to get information and relationships. And then this year we're super excited because we're moving – venues you know we are moving from where we've been for a decade and a half down to SoFi Stadium the home of the Rams and the Chargers so you're going to be able to see our set will have shots like that first Sunday night I would imagine that once the Rams Bears game ends and my show game day final comes on you'll be able to see all the crazies right outside of the windows there it's going to be some cool stuff is that can't wait is that stadium as amazing in person as it looks on TV? I mean, it just looks out of this world. I'll have to tell you when I see it. Oh, you haven't I been haven't there? Been, oh, wow. No, there's, you know, it's been it's been tough to kind of get a ticket to get, to get in there and get down there. So I will be spending plenty of Sundays down there, and I cannot wait. Well, I got to tell you, man, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been great uh, doing a couple shows with you on No Filter. I've been a big fan of yours for years. I just love your work and uh, your approach to sports, and uh, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you very much, and, hey, I wish you the best of luck with your podcast. Absolutely, Grant. You know, anytime I'm here for you. Thank you, man. It's now time for today's Crowd Ultra Q&A. Just go to CrowdUltra.com, sign up. And maybe I'll answer your question right here on my podcast. Jerry wants to know what rule change, and this is a good question, what rule change could Major League Baseball make to fix the game? Jerry, 
I can't even watch baseball now. I went to the Marlins-Phillies game the other day and left after the fifth inning. The game is just, it, there's no movement. There's no advancement of a runner from first to third. The hit and run. It's strike out or hit a home run. The ball is not in play enough. I don't have the answer, Jerry, but the game needs to be dissected and it needs to be fixed. I've never seen baseball as boring as it is today. I mean, I, I can't watch I can't watch a full game, Jerry. I really can't. Nick says, what pro sport is the least woke? Well, I don't even think it's close. It's hockey. It's the National Hockey League, and I, I don't even think uh, it is close. Uh, T wants to know, could we see a two-way player in the NFL again? I think you'll see a two-way player on a limited basis. I don't think you're going to see it full time. I, I just, I think the attrition of the game, the physicality of the game, but in special situations, yeah, I think you could see a player playing both offense and defense, but but not on a regular basis. I, I don't see that at all. Mark says, does Jordan Love start game one for the Packers? Good question, Mark. As we sit here in the first of June, it's looking more and more of a possibility. That's for sure. All right, let's move on. Ben wants to know, why does Chris Paul struggle in the playoffs? You know, lately I think he's struggled in the playoffs because he always seems to be getting hurt in the playoffs. You know, some guys get it done in the postseason and others don't. And you can look at all sports. You know, look at Barry Bonds. Look at Donovan McNabb. Look at guys that in the regular season were completely different than in the postseason. And, I, and there are many, 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 many examples of this. Many examples of players that excel during the regular season. And then when the postseason begins, they're like, Alex Rodriguez was like that for many, 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 many years. I don't know. It's a very, very good question. But if you were putting together a team to win a must-win game, Chris Paul will not be on your team. That's for darn sure. I can tell you this. He wouldn't be on my team. Christian wants to know, are athletes more injury-prone these days? It's a fabulous question because with technology and the advancement of medicine and training... Athletes are bigger, they're stronger, and they're faster. And physics is physics. So are we seeing more injuries because of the strength and the speed of our athletes? Or are we seeing more injuries because our athletes are babied? And I'm using the term babied so that you understand what I'm trying to say. For instance, in the NFL... Training camps were true training camps, and they were hard, and they were two-a-days, and they were a lot of pads. Now you go to an NFL training camp, it's like playing patty cake. And so I wonder if the lack of training in the sense of the old-fashioned way has created more injuries. You say injury-prone. I, I don't know the answer to that question, but it does seem that we are – that on a regular basis, there are more and more injuries that are occurring. 
Tyler wants to know, hey, Grant, has Bogdan Bogdanovich shown it was a mistake for the Kings to let him go? Tyler, go back and look at my rant the day that Bogdan Bogdanovich went to the Atlanta Hawks and look at what I said. I said it was a mistake then, and I'm saying it's a mistake now. To let Bogdan Bogdanovich go for nothing was a big, with a capital B, mistake, in my opinion. It made no sense then, and it makes even less sense now. Didn't understand it, still don't understand it. We'll never, ever understand it. Michael wants to know, why did the Heat perform so bad against the Bucks? You know, Michael, that was a microcosm of the Heat season. They were very Jekyll and Hyde. They were very up and down. I thought they got better with the trade deadline with some of the moves that they made. The reality is what happened last year, I think, my opinion, was a little bit of a fluke for the Miami Heat. I don't think the Miami Heat were as good as they showed last year, and I don't think that they were as bad as they showed in the recent four-game sweep at the hands of the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bucks are just a better basketball team, plain and simple. So I don't know why they performed so bad. I mean, their shooting was just horrible. But the Miami Heat, that was kind of their season. I mean, they, they just were so inconsistent this year. So darn inconsistent. Trevor wants to know, how will Bobby Jackson do as a head coach? Bobby, the head coach of the Kings G League team. Bobby, I think, will do very well. Bobby is a no-nonsense type of guy. Bobby Jackson, to me, will do very well there. I, th- I think Bobby will be very good with those young players. I think it's a very good move by the organization. Again, we thank the questions for Crowd Ultra. Just go to crowdultra.com. That's crowdultra.com. It's time for Rant. Hey, today's rant is brought to you by the Home Theater Company, audio, video, and home theater. Just go online, hometheatercompany.com. So, we see a 21-year-old fan who threw a bottle, allegedly, at Kyrie Irving walking off the court after the Nets beat the Celtics, get arrested and charged with assault and battery. Memo to fans across the United States. That's what happens when you act like an idiot and you throw things on the court, at players, or even at a fellow spectator. Now you won't be surprised, okay? You're going to get arrested. Now, I don't know why it's taken until 2021 for these type of acts to be met with the charge of assault and battery, but it's about freaking time. If you go to the game, go to the game. If you throw stuff, you deserve to get arrested. And I have no sympathy at all for that 21-year-old fan. Now, as far as Kyrie Irving goes, Kyrie Irving is an idiot, all right? Plain and simple, the guy is an idiot. And his behavior after the game where he walks to the logo of the Boston Garden and stops on the Celtics logo is childish, it's immature, and that does not justify a fan throwing an object at him. I'm not justifying that, but Kyrie Irving doesn't do himself any favors here. All right? He just doesn't. And, you know, I've, I've done a lot of rants on Kyrie Irving and I, I, it's not, I've never met Kyrie. I don't know the guy, all right? But his absences from the team, 
his you can't count on the guy the things that he says uh, where to me it's very clear that he doesn't think before he speaks and he goes and stops on the logo of the Boston Celtics before leaving the court what's wrong with this guy seriously I've said this many times before and so if you missed my previous rants I'm going to say it again I could never root for that guy If he were on my team, I don't think I could root for that team with Kyrie Irving playing on it. That's how I feel about Irving. I think the guy's a mess. I really do. And that's my rant for today. And that's my podcast for today. Really appreciate you checking us out here if you don't like that. I'm really excited about some of the guests that I have coming up, including one of the great basketball announcers of his generation, Kevin Calabro, is on the list. I'm also going to talk to NBA writer Scott Howard Cooper. He's got a book coming out on Steve Kerr. That and many guests coming your way in the month of June. But I'm really looking forward to talking with Kevin Calabro, one of the real truly great talents in our profession. Make it a great day, and thank you so much for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.